I want you to keep this in mind as we look at this. Adam and Eve were created in absolute, total perfection. That means perfect eyesight, perfect teeth, perfect muscle structure. Think also in terms of perfect spiritual walk. They knew God the Creator. They walked with Him. Perfect in emotional stability. Perfect in physical strength. Perfect in spiritual stability. And in that setting, they're approached and tempted to commit sin. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. We'll take a section at a time. This is what I call scene 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband, who ate with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Clearly, up till this point, as you discovered last week, God gave dominion to Adam and Eve, Adam, we discovered, Adam meaning all of humankind. He gave dominion to Adam and Eve over all of his created beings. So clearly, Adam had the right to rule over the serpent. So did Eve, but did not exercise that right to rule. This is the saddest event in all of human history. All corruption, all sin, all incompleteness, all feelings of inferiority, all failure, everything stems from this event. All bitterness, jealousy, anger, this is where it starts. Now, God had made a lot of animals. He discovered that in Genesis chapter 2. This being that comes to them is called a serpent. Scripture more adequately calls it a nefesh, meaning that it belonged to the line of reptiles. So we use the word serpent because we're not really sure what it looked like. There's some theologians who speculate that this could have been as magnificent as an angel who appeared in the form of a, uh, something like a dragon. That's one speculation. There's another that believed it's a creature that no longer exists on planet Earth today, but fell into the line of reptiles. Very specifically, though, it literally says nefesh, meaning a real created being, something that God had actually created. And the Scripture says the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, meaning it was one of the animals that God had created that Satan appeared and began talking through. Some type of an upright reptile appears in this idealistic setting. Now remember, up to this point, Satan has rebelled against God and he's taken one-third of all the angels of heaven with him in his rebellion. 
And he's out to do the same thing, to target God's highest creation, humankind, in the same way to rebel that he rebelled. I think man was probably a novel creature to Satan. I think he'd never seen anything like this. Not only did mankind have the ability to procreate, but also, as you learned last week, we have the Ruach, Elohim, the breath of God in us, the Spirit of God. So when Satan saw these created beings, Adam and Eve, he saw an eternal soul. So he didn't target animals, he targeted God's highest creation. Scripture says in, a, in uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, that when, when Satan appears on earth, many times it's in the form as an angel of light. We read that before, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He goes around appearing as an angel of light. He wants you to believe he's telling the truth, but his real motive is to get you to the point where you challenge the character and the nature of God, the very word of God. So I ask myself questions when I study the Bible. Maybe you do the same thing. I ask myself questions like, why in the world did Satan target Eve? Scripture says this, and he said to the woman, this is easy to miss if you don't pay attention, and he said to the woman, indeed has God said that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And he said to the woman, why in the world did he target the woman? I think I found the solution to that question when I looked at 1 Peter 3.7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is, she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of, grace of, life, of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is not saying that women are inferior. So get that very clear in your head. When Scripture talks about a woman being a weaker vessel, it's talking about a fine piece of china, not weaker in its ability emotionally, but weaker as in the sense of it's delicate. All right? So Scripture holds woman up as a being that's very delicate. And God says very clearly in 1 Peter 3, 7, that men are supposed to come around that delicate creation and support them and uphold them. Woman, by God's design, the weaker vessel need to be protected by the men, the men in their life. In some cases, around widows, the church. In some cases, around single women, the men of the church or the men in their family. But clearly, in marriage relationship, the husband, to come around the weaker vessel, his wife, to support her. Now, that is not clearly what happens here in this story. But Ephesians 5 says, husbands are to love their wives, to cherish them. And I think as you'll see what happens here is Eve falls from under the protection, out from under the protection of her husband. Now hear this very clearly. This is speculation, but this is held by a lot of theologians. It's believed clearly that from what we read in Scripture that Adam was created out of the garden, out in the wilderness setting, because Scripture says this, God created man and then placed him in the garden to tend it as opposed to the fact that Eve was created in the garden in a beautiful, delicate setting, reflecting the natures. A lot of the rabbis, those who study the Torah, Jewish people believe this 
fact, what I'm telling you as well, they hold this very high and say, that reflects the nature of the woman being very tender, delicate creation, created in the setting which was beautiful. Man created out in the wilderness, rough and tough. Okay? Got the imagery difference? There's a storyline going on there. And so Satan finds Eve in what we would consider an unprotected condition. And he approaches her to ask her a question in a setting in which he wants to move her into a setting in which she questions God. So this is the way I think it took place. So, Eve. I guess God's denied you from eating all the fruit of the garden, huh? In a very subtle way, Scripture says he was very crafty. So Eve, I guess God said you can't eat everything in the garden. This is the way it actually says it in Scripture. Has God said you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? Now you'll notice that in brackets I put the word really because in Hebrew the tense, the setting is, has God really said you shall not eat from every tree in the garden? This is the first time in human existence that the dark side of the spiritual warfare is released on us. It's just like a catapult that's launched right out there to ask us to whether or not we believe that what God really said is truth. This is what Satan's doing. He's causing an assumption. An assumption to say what God declared as truth is subject to our judgment. That's what we find when we studied the creation in the setting of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. All of the world now is in a place where they're saying, did God really say that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Did he really say that he created? That's the assumption. Is what Did God declare as truth really truth? And it smuggled in the same way that he tried it with Jesus. You think about the temptation that took place with Jesus out in the paradise, out in the wilderness, excuse me. Temptation starts with this. Mark it down. You write a little note in the margin of your Bible. It starts with the idea or the thought process that we have the right to question what God said as truth. That we have somehow obtained the ability to question that God doesn't really mean what He said. Now look subtly at what Satan said to her. Has God said, you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? Has God said, what's missing there? Every verse you'll read in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 up till this point, whenever God is referred to, it says, Lord God, the one who rules, Jehovah Elohim. When Satan mentions God, he just uses Elohim. It's a very generic way. And it's an interesting thing that Satan just kind of left that out because of this. Satan hates the sovereignty of God, he hates God's rule. And so he leaves the word Lord out. He doesn't say Lord God, as the writers have said. He just says Elohim, God. And he starts quoting the word of God, but he twists it to make it subject to Eve's interpretation. Do you know that Satan knows God's word better than you do? He does. Satan knows God's word, but he always twists it. And he throws it back to make you question whether you believe what you really believe is true. So think about what God said. God said, you shall eat of every tree of the garden. 
in Genesis chapter 2. You can look at that later today yourself. God said, you shall eat from every tree of the garden except one. How did Satan phrase it? He said, you shall not eat from every tree of the garden. What he did was he inverted it. He tried to make Eve say, I'm being denied something. It's being held from back from me. You shall not eat from every tree of the garden except... Now she's questioning herself. Isn't this a bit punitive? Follow this thought process. I said to to you last week, I believe Satan is actively engaged today in modern day society in trying to get us to question God's word. He's actively engaged in asking us to challenge the very word of God. Think of it this way. Does God really say we aren't to live together outside of marriage? Does God really say in his word blank? Does God's word really relevant to the world today? Maybe you've heard it more this way. Perhaps your friends in your office or your family have phrased it more like, that's your interpretation. Don't try and impose your morality on me. That's judgmental of you. That's the way the word, the, the word of God has been challenged by the world to say that it's very judgmental of us. The reality is it's judgmental of God. Yes, God is judgmental. If that's a news flash for you, I'm sorry, but God is very judgmental. And he has the right to. He's the only one who's holy. The fact that God gave them everything in creation is overlooked because Satan says, you don't have that one thing, that one thing that will make your life better. So look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. And from this moment on, he has her because she starts to engage in conversation with him. She starts to talk to the tempter. Just after I got married 27 years ago almost, I had a friend who I knew, I thought quite well, whom I was talking with. And he said to me, um, as we were in a conversation, I can't remember the setting, he said something about a girl who was walking through this, I think we were in a mall. And he talked about her in the most inappropriate way, to the point where it just made me go, ugh, and he's married. And when I confronted him on it, this was his response. He said, hey, it's okay to take a walk through the forest as long as I don't climb the trees. That's messing with temptation. That's inviting the tempter to have an opening into your life. I knew in my heart that it was wrong for him to make that kind of a comment. And so the spirit within me just recoiled. It destroyed his marriage, that attitude. Later, he lost his marriage because of infidelity. Because he had entered into it with a mindset that I'm stronger than the temptation. And this is Eve's entrance into this conversation. She enters in, and now the sin is about to occur. Now, specifically, we would ask ourselves, when did the sin occur? As she took a bite of the fruit? What did Jesus say? He said, whenever you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. When the mindset plunges you into the temptation, 
That's what happened with Eve. It plunged the whole human race into sin because she engaged into the conversation. When you do not completely and wholeheartedly trust that God's commandments are for your good, you dangle the temptation in front of you and you've fallen into the same snare. Verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. So now he's got her in dialogue and he's having conversation with her. And he makes a blatant denial of what God had declared. A blatant refusal and saying, God's a liar. I'm telling you the truth. You won't die. God knows the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Here's the ultimate deception of Satan. That there will never, ever be any type of judgment for sin. He wants us all to believe that. Never will you get caught. There is no judgment. You won't die. You can defy God all you want. God knows you won't die. Now, in truth, she didn't drop dead as soon as she ate the fruit. Did she die? She's not here today. Ultimately, the human race was plunged into sin. See, God knows evil. God knows good and evil. But God knows evil like a physician or like a surgeon knows cancer. A physician knows cancer from the outside looking at it and seeing what needs to be done about it. Eve knew evil and knows evil like a cancer patient. It was within her. Evil was part of who she was. And it was beginning to consume her. James 1 says, Lust conceives and it brings forth sin. It's conceived into her mind, and she's going to fall because it started in her emotions, and it's going to move to her will, and then it's going to translate into her behavior. Look at verse 6 with me. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. Now follow this with me by looking at James 1.14. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Where does lust begin? In the mind. 1 John 2.15-16 Perhaps you've read this before. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Everything in the satanic system, these three things always reoccur with every single sin. Look at them closely. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw the tree was good for food the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. She saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. Go all the way forward in time to the New Testament when Satan appeared and he tempted Jesus. What did he tempt him with? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of the life. Jesus Make those stones into bread. You're hungry. Lust of the flesh. Jesus, 
Look at all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give them all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. He saw all the kingdoms. Jesus, I know we're on a 400-foot-high peak here, but Scripture says if you throw yourself down, the angels will lift you up. Go ahead and prove that you're really the Son of God. The pride of life. Those three things. Every temptation you see occur in your life, Satan plays the exact same game over and over again. Why does he do it? Because it works. He's very consistent in that manner. So here's what she does next. She drags someone else into it with her. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now Adam's here. Where's he been? Probably off doing what God had asked him to do, tending the garden. There's disagreement on this issue among theologians. Some believe that he was right there along with her. And his sin was that he didn't chastise her and didn't dismiss the serpent. But according to the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.14, it says that Adam was not deceived. Meaning he wasn't there during the deception. He wasn't there as she was enticed. He wasn't deceived by the deceiver. His sin, I think, is a little bit worse because he freely ate the fruit. There's no deception. She gave him the fruit. He took it and ate it. Why? Why did you do it? Why did he take... It doesn't tell us why. He just did it. He took the fruit and consumed it. Does Adam have less guilt? No. As a matter of fact, anytime Scripture refers to the sin and the original sin... It always refers to Adam, the head of the household, the leader. There's a principle of headship in the Bible. And the principle is this. It starts with Adam and it never ends. It works in marriage. It works in the church. It works in the Trinity. Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 11, the husband is the head of the wife as God is the head of Christ as Christ is the head of the church. God has a principle of headship. And Adam had a greater responsibility. But he freely took the fruit. Makes no sense. So same garden, same spouse, same sky overhead, same animals wandering around the garden. And then explosively, the sin burst in into their once pure world. Now, corruption, shame, ugliness, and it's disgusting. And they feel exposed. And they feel shameful. It takes the work of the last Adam to undo what they brought in. So let's jump in to scene two, the arrival of God. I'm just going to read this text with you, and it's very long. So I want you to follow along so you don't get lost. Starts with verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than all the, every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise on you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Ladies, can you testify to that? Yeah, blame Eve. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. There's so much going on there that we don't have time to go into all of this. But I want you to get a big picture of what just unfolded. It opens with the sound of the Lord's coming. Now you may casually read over that, but when you attach that to the imagery that was created in the Hebrew text, to what happened on Mount Sinai when God appeared before the children of Israel, And the sound of the Lord's coming caused a great wind, a powerful appearance when the Shekinah glory of God came upon the scene. This is exactly what's happening here. As a matter of fact, the cool of the day is a little bit of a misinterpretation in the English text. The wind of the day is a more accurate interpretation. And it's not actually referring to the daytime It's referring to that God appeared on the scene in this powerful storm. So much so that like what happened on Mount Sinai also appeared in the garden. And the response is the same. The children of Israel said to Moses when God appeared on Mount Sinai, No! We can't even look at Him. He's too holy. And they fled and they hid themselves in great trembling and fear. You see Adam and Eve doing the exact same thing. They run and hide because the Shekinah glory of God comes down in the garden. And this was a regular habit for him. He came and spent time with them. They knew what it was to fellowship with God just like you sitting in this room today. You know what it's like to be in the presence of a holy thing. And yet we choose to turn sometimes That's what Adam and Eve did. In the midst of this setting, he starts blaming. Adam immediately turns to shift the responsibility. Have you ever noticed that? Adam said, the woman you gave me. I mean, I went to sleep single and I woke up married. What's the deal? This is is like, I didn't even know what a woman was and you picked her for me. She caused this. You never saw this in a previous setting before the temptation. Blame starts. Now let's jump into scene three. Now the man called his wife's name Eve 
because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. There's an image that takes place here that I don't want you to miss. Adam and Eve tried to sew for themselves loin coverings, fig leaves, to cover over their sin. It was an attempt. They tried. I mean, I probably would have done the same thing. But God says what you did was inadequate. They could never really cover over their sin. What does it say in verse 21? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It required God to cover what had been done in the garden. What did God have to do to make a garment of skin? Have you ever asked yourself that? God had to kill an animal. The first sacrifice, the shedding of blood to create a skin to cover their body. The sacrifice of a life because of someone else's wrongdoing. You can attempt to cover over your sin with your own fig leaves for a while, but ultimately, you're going to need God to cover over you. That's the only way you get the cleansing that God wants you to have. Like Lucifer, Adam and Eve fell. And the fell was horrendous. They fell so far that they were absolutely full of shame and guilt. They fell so far that it started a chain reaction causing all of the created world to collapse around them. They fell so far that an avalanche of sin was created that they could not hold back. Like a rock slide burying all of humanity in its dirt. We were all covered over with it. Satan had done his work. And like the snake that he is, he slithers right on out of the garden, leaving behind a wake of disruption and decay and chaos. Until, once more, there was heard the sound of God coming. And it sounded like thunder when he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was the sound of God who came again on the scene and said, I can cover over all of this because I am the one who can pay the price. That's why Jesus said, I am. Referring back to Elohim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I can cover over this. No one, no one, no one gets back into paradise except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life because I became the price for your sin. And paradise can be restored. 
You know the tree of life makes a reappearance on the scene? I don't know if you've ever read this, but it's in the book of Revelation. Look at this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the street of the great, of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. God plucked the tree of life from one paradise and he put it in your next paradise. It's a beautiful image of what waits for us. But only if you've been covered over by the work of the Lamb. It is true. Amen? We declare truth. We're going to enter into a time of communion this morning to celebrate the work of the Lamb. So Michael's going to lead us into some more worship and then we're going to enjoy the time of communion together. Can I invite you to pray with me just as the worship team's coming up? Father, thank you for showing us truth, for giving us understanding. There's so many things that Satan would like us to not know about you. And we are so grateful that you put it in your word because he can't make that go away. The word of our Lord remains forever. As much as Satan would like to destroy this story, and it's a real war, God, we firmly believe that. There is a war between good and evil. You have given us a record of what you have done to cover over all of this. For that reason, we celebrate. So receive the worship we're about to bring, Father, as a gift from us, as an offering to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.